Uh, first, I'd like to say that I want to dedicate this year for Fuhr Shlema for Mark Weinberg. Shimon Alimelech Ben. Ben? Simarifta. I mean, uh, those of you from England certainly know him, you know, the family. Uh, the last time I saw him, he was optimistic, apparently taking a turn for the worst. So we all uh, are learning together. We wish him certainly a Fuhr Shlema. Uh, from whatever it is that ails him. What we want to talk tonight about is the Mikoshesh. Now, even though you've all heard of the Mikoshesh, I can't imagine that you know exactly what he did. But he did something terrible. And that's what the Psukim seem to indicate. If you look at the, uh, if you look at the Psukim, Rayu B'nei Yisrael Bamidbar, there's a kind of a background. B'nai Yisrael wa Bamidbar. B'nai Yisrael wa Bamidbar at least 40 years, maybe 39 and a half. So Vayu B'nai Yisrael Bamidbar doesn't really tell us anything. doesn't tell us uh, what we're looking for, which is a specific time. They were in the desert, yes. Vayimtsu'u ish mikosheish etzim. And they found an ish. Ish is the way we call somebody who doesn't have a name, or more likely, we're not interested in telling you his name, or even more likely, you wouldn't know who he was, even if I did tell you his name. It's sort of like Plony. Somebody did it. He was Mekoshesh Eitzim, Biyom HaShabbat. So we would, of course, uh, uh, assume that somehow Mekoshesh Eitzim is something against Shabbat. But we know that on Shabbat there are certain malachot that are forbidden. And a Mekoshesh Eitzim, I guess if he's guilty, did something that is not permitted on Shabbat, but that's not quite the same as saying that I know what he did. I don't know exactly what he did. But I assume it was a grievous, uh, a, a grievous act. So let's look at the Rashi. Rashi is quoting a, uh, a medrash, which is also found in the Gemara. And he says, no, this statement is Bignutan Shel Yisrael, which means um, it, it disparages B'nai Yisrael. It says something bad about them. What's bad about them? Um, What's the Shabbat Rishona and what's the Shabbat Shnia? You know that when they came uh, before, before Matan Torah, the Pasuk says, Sham Sam Lo Choku Mishpat Nisal. So we know that B'nai Yisrael received the mitzvah of Shabbat, that's what Chazal say, before Matan Torah. That was one of the things that they were obliged to do even before they received the Torah. So Rashi says, From the time that Moshe Rabbeinu taught them that they're Shabbat, they kept Shabbat, Shabbat Rishonah, right, the first Shabbat. Uveshniya and on the second Shabbat, this guy, unnamed so far, uh, came and he was Bechalel Shabbat. Even though we don't know exactly what he did, but he came. Now the interesting thing, an interesting point that comes out of Rashi, is that even though, how many people were Bechalel Shabbat? How many? Ish, right, a single person. Nevertheless, Rashi talks about this as the nation, Lo Shamuel Shabbat Echad, Lo Shamuel Shabbat Echad, the nation of, of B'nai Yisrael. Okay, but he did it himself. But it sounds as though Rashi wants us to understand that the Chilul Shabbat was, um, was national. The entire people were, were involved in this Chilul Shabbat somehow, even though Rashi doesn't tell us how that, that could have been. 
פסוק ל"ג, והקריבו אותו על מוצאים אותו מקושש עצים, אל משה ואל אהרון וכל העדה. So they took this person who was Mikoshesh Eitzim, Biyom HaShabbat. Again, I don't know exactly what that means, Mikoshesh Eitzim. And they brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu. They knew that what he did was forbidden. So they brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu. And it says, El Aharon Yelkol Aida. What does Rashi say? HaMotzim Oto Mikoshesh Yitrubo. Velo Himeach Mikoshesh. So we all know we all know how the punishment system works in uh, in Dinei Torah. That if somebody does, if does somebody does transgressions, somebody does something that is also to do on Shabbos, the punishment can only be the result of Hatra'ah. Hatra'ah is when witnesses come and they say to this person, look, we see what you're doing, and we're telling you that it's forbidden, and the punishment is such and such. That's called hatra'ah, a warning. That's called a warning. So these people who saw the mekoshesh eitzim, we don't know what that is, mekoshesh eitzim, they warned him. They said, if you do that, you're liable for punishment. And he ignored them. He ignored them because he, he didn't care. So afterwards they grabbed him and brought him to the kind of baiting that existed at that time, Moshe, Aaron, they'll call Ha'idah. And what call Ha'idah has to do with the baiting, I don't know, but apparently there's this feeling when you read the Psukim that the nation of Israel is involved in what's happened. This is not something that a person did, but this is a national crime. And there are certain hints in the Pasuk uh, in the Pesukim about that. Vayanichlo doba mishmar, kilo parash vayaselo. So they put him into jail, mishmar. They watched him, because kilo parash vayaselo. Apparently, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what his specific punishment would be. Which, of course, raises a kasha about hatra'ah. Right, hatra'ah, remember, the edim have to tell the, 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 the person who's doing the transgression what the punishment is. That's, called, that's what Hatra is. You have to say, you're doing something forbidden, and this is the punishment, and we're the witnesses, and you're going to get it if you, don't, if you don't stop. But you have to know what the punishment is. You have to be able to tell him, to tell this transgressor what the punishment is. But in this case, the Pasuk says, Lo parashma they didn't know what the punishment was. Rashi elucidates. Lo hayu yodim mita yamut. They don't know if it's skila or sreifa or hereg or fenek. Those are usually the four mitot that we know about. Mitot beitim. The mitot, the, the death penalties that beit din can, uh, can demand. Lo parash. So he have a, like a kasha. If the hatra'ah, the matrim, the edim, were able to say this, you are doing something wrong. And if you continue to it, we're going to be witnesses in the beitin, and you're going to be killed. They weren't able to say skila. They didn't know that, but they knew that it was a death penalty. So if you know that it's a death penalty, maybe that's enough. Maybe that is, I mean, in other words, if you wanted to make this argument, you might bring this Rashi as a proof that just knowing the death penalty is enough for Hatra'ah, and you don't have to know specifically which death penalty is going to be used. So that was the answer. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Skila, Ragom Otob Avanim, throw the stones upon him. Kol Ha'ida is another appearance of the Eida, the entire community. Notice the Eidim brought this man to the entire community, to Moshe and Aaron, Kol Ha'ida. And then in executing the punishment, you also had Kol Ha'ida. 
Kol Haida was involved in executing the, the punishment. Rashi says, Ragom. Okay, Rashi makes a, like a, uh, 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 a grammatical comment that Ragom, you see how it's vocalized? I mean, it, does, it, it doesn't matter to us. But if you look at the word Ragom, it's not exactly a Sivuri, a form, a, uh, an imperative in Hebrew, because the imperative form in Hebrew is, would be Rigom. Rigom like a Shva, Reshva, Gom, that's the imperative. Ragom is a different form. So, so Rashi explains that it's a kind of an ongoing command. It's an ongoing command. That's what Rashi says. But when, we haven't got time for that. That's called esoterica. Next pasuk. Rashi, it's that's how we learn the Gemara says that the Beit HaSkilah, the place where they would actually execute the transgressor, was far away from the building of the Beit Din where it was decided. This is that the Gemara also explains this is in order that it should take them a long time to get him from the Beit Din to the place of Skilah so that if there are anybody around in the world who has, uh, who could say something in his favor, that he'd have time to come forth. And that they shouldn't be able to execute him, execute him straight away. But if I had to summarize, I had to summarize this, this uh, story, I would say that in spite of the fact that I don't know what Bekoshesh is exactly, but let's assume it's something that's a Mlachad Oraita. Like uh, collecting the re- uh, uh, like uprooting uprooting branches that are planted in the ground, or uprooting uh, reeds of some sort. Let's say that's what the koshesh is. Like we, can, we can make it up, right? So the good thing about that idea is that it's also midoraita, like right? uprooting uh, uh, branches is also midoraita. And therefore, if I catch the guy doing it, I warn him, he's really liable for the maximum punishment. And the maximum punishment in Shabbat is skila. So then it would all fit in together. Now there is an interesting opinion about this story, which appears in two places that I was able to discover. One is in the Targum Yonatan on the spot. The Targum Yonatan, unfortunately for us, is written in Aramaic. And that would be too much of a hurdle. It's a very long Aramaic uh, passage. But the other place that this tradition in Chazal is found is in a Tosfot. Is in a Tosfot in the Gemara and Baba Basra, Dav Kufiyu Tet Amud Bet. Now the Gemara, the Gemara doesn't matter to us. But what matters is. Uh, You see the Tosvot? Siri says Tosvot. Right next to the Gemara is Tosvot. Tosvot is uh, uh, like a commentary on the Gemara, right? For those of you who don't learn Gemara. Tosvot is a commentary. Tosvot are the children and grandchildren of Rashi. And intermarriage marriages and Talmidim, uh, but it all comes from Rashi. It's all the the house of Rashi. Yudnir el Rashbah. So the Rashbah is one of the Balea Tosfot. Not a different Rashbah that you might have heard of, but one of the Balea Tosfot. The Sova Allah commander Amar Tzlafchad Hainu Mikoshesh. Tzlafchad Hainu Mikoshesh. So in Bamidbar, in the in Pinchos, There's the story of the Benot Slavchad, which I imagine you, re- you remember. There, in Perikov Zion, Perikov Zion, Pasuk Gimel, you, re- you remember that the Benot Slavchad, there were these girls who were all uh, um, Benot Slavchad. Slavchad was a guy. He only had daughters. Mercy on him. 
Why? Because it creates a confusing problem of inheritance. Because according to the Torah law, I hope I'm not telling you anything that I shouldn't tell you. According to Torah law, only sons inherit. Daughters do not inherit. Of course, it doesn't really matter that much. Because if the parents give away their inheritance, or they write a will, which includes the daughters, so they're included. But this is only about people who die, what is that word? Intestate? That's a word, right? That's a good word. They die, and they didn't make any provision. And you go to the Beit Din. You don't have to go to the Beit Din in Israel. This is a very interesting point of law, where there's a contradiction between the law of the state and the law of the Beit Din. Because a person can opt to go to the Beit Din and let the Beit Din decide what happens to the inheritance. Or he can go to the Beit Mishpat and let the Beit Mishpat decide what happens to the inheritance. And it's likely that they would have two different decisions. They would have two decisions. This comes up often in cases of divorce. And in the, this is like, a, it's like kind of, a kind of an issue. So the Benotzel of Chad, since uh, uh, their father died before they, he got to Eretz Israel, and the division of Eretz Israel had not yet taken place when they came to Eretz Israel. Remember Yoshua Dinun? He came to Eretz Israel and he divided up the land amongst the tribes in Eretz Israel. It's true that Moshe Rabbeinu divided up a little bit, but that was only the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Not the tribe of Yehuda that Salafchad belonged to. So he, because he died in the desert, he was not one of the families that was allocated land in Eretz Yisrael when they entered the land. There's a machloket about that as well, whether it was allocated only to Yotzei Mitzrayim, who came to Eretz Yisrael, or even others who came to Eretz Yisrael. But since Lofcha died, it didn't matter. He wasn't, he wasn't going to get the inheritance. So the Benot Salafchad came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, it's not fair. Uh, uh, and then they make this interesting statement. Avinu meit bamidbar. Because after all, our father died in the desert. V'hu lo haya betoch ha'ida anoadim al Hashem ba'adat korach. And he was not a transgressor. A major transgressor. He died a natural death. Something happened, and he died in the desert. But there's no reason for him to be punished, because he wasn't the, one of the bad people who was involved with Korach, Badat Korach, because he died, he died with his own Avera. What's mate? Bechet Rashi says, V'lo hechti et acherim imo. It was, whatever it was, there was a cheshbon b'shamayim, that this person has to die. But he wasn't recognizably a bad person. He wasn't a bad person. That's what their argument was. And therefore, since his dying was a personal thing, somehow... They should, uh, uh, they should be Zocher, they, the children of Tzolofchad, should be allowed to inherit something or other. The Gemara in Shabbos, Al-Tzamet, Tzadi, Vov, says the following. The Gemara in Shabbos. Tanya, Abraisa. Right? A brysa means Tanaitic, a Tanaitic statement. Tanaitic statements are very uh, impressive and important. So what happened, not only is it a, a Tana, but it's Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva said, Mekoshesh Zetzlavchad. The Mekoshesh Eitzim, even though in our Pasuk it says, Vayim Ish Mekoshesh Eitzim, in the manner of a certain kind of literary criticism, 
modern day literary Christian, you'd say, you'd say that, that the Torah didn't, didn't want to mention his name, but we know who he is. I mean, it's a lesson to be taught, to be taught that, right? When you, when Am Lavinu went, when Am Lavinu went to the Akeda with Yitzchak, who went with him? Echnein Arav, Imo. Echnein Arav, the two young people, right? Who were the Echnein Arav? Elazar and and Yishmael. So it was Elazar. That's what the that's what Rashi says. That's what the Gemara says. So it was Elazar and Yishmael. So why did the Torah say? So, so in, in a, in a modern, a modern kind of interpretation would be, they were important people in other contexts. But in the context of Akedat Yitzhak, they had no importance at all. Yeah? Perhaps like we learned last week, but let me not have said, Bachelet Elephant Allah, Moshe didn't want to use Miriam's name. It's a Right, a Kulashin Hara, a Chinami, but with, with uh, Yishmael and, uh, and who? Eliezer, that's not the case. They went along with Akedah Yitzhak, so they're like part of the minion. That's a great thing. But, but, but when the, what the Torah wanted to say, what the Torah wanted to say perhaps, is that even though they, they were, it was important to take them along, is that to carry things and put them down and take them up. I mean, you need, a, you need an entourage. But, but they had no importance in the story. The story was about Avram and Yitzchak. It wasn't about Eliezer and Yishmael. Eliezer and Yishmael went along, but they didn't get it. They didn't know what was going on, because eventually they, Avram and Yitzchak left them behind. And they went alone to Haram and They themselves had the experience. So it makes sense that the Torah doesn't mention them, even though we know who they are. It doesn't mention them, doesn't mean it's like forbidden to mention them. It just means that in the story they had no, they had no purpose. Look because Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, Right, and that was Tzlavchad. So what did the Benot Tzlavchad say? We want our father to get an inheritance. If our father gets an inheritance, then we'll, we'll get the inheritance because there are no sons. I mean, I told you that. If there's a son, the son gets the inheritance. If there's no son, the daughter gets the inheritance. But that halacha, they didn't know that halacha that. But again, so they came and they said, our father died. It had nothing to do with Korach. He doesn't have to be punished for this. He wasn't a usurper of the authority of Moshe Rabbeinu. Allah comes to Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, who was it? What was the Avera? He was, Tzlavchad was the Mekoshesh Eitzim. So he wasn't with Korach. What was he? The first Mechal Shabbos of all history. And he was so much Mechal Shabbos that they had to kill him. Because we know that the witnesses said to Tzlavchad, they said, listen, don't do it. You'll be Mechal Shabbos, you're going to get killed. If you would have stopped... He wouldn't have been chayav. So the Benos Lovra come to say, our father, he was really a sadik. He was a great man. He died being Mechal Shabbos. He didn't die. He didn't die the way the, the, the Edav Korach died. He wasn't swallowed up by the ground, by, uh, the ground like they were. He was just a measly, poor, lone Mechal Shabbos. Wasn't that a big deal? What kind of merit is that? The daughters come and say, my, my father was only a Mechalel Shabbos. So now let's go back. Now we know the background to the story. Let's go back to the Tosus. So the Tosus says, Slavchad, hi, Commander Omar, it is a Gemara in Shabbat, Slavchad, I am a Koshesh. What? I Koshesh. He had a Tchilat Arbaim, he had a Chremasem Raglim. The Mikoshesh was like the first Avera. The first Avera that individual did. Right? Domar Midrash. You see those words, Domar Midrash? And you have to notice that there's no parentheses that comes after those words, telling you where you should look. Because whoever put in those parentheses didn't know where to look. And it's also in the, in the I told you this, what's coming up is in the Tagum Yonatan, also without a parenthesis. So this Tosfud and the Tagum Yonatan become the source for this idea that is about to come up. And what is the idea? 
ולשם שמיים מתכוון. How did the Benot Zalofchad come and say that their father should get, uh, should be allowed to, to, to inherit the land of Israel and then pass it down to them? If he was a Mechalal Shabbos B'Fahesya, I mean, what kind of yichas is it that he wasn't in B'nai Korach? I mean, of course, he was, he was dead already. So, they, so the, the Tosus quotes a medrash. I don't know where the medrash is. It's someplace. No, 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 you don't understand. He did it for the sake of heaven. Imagine that. Like, you know, a guy drives by here on Shabbos, honking his horn, and like runs, always runs you down, and he says, I'm doing it for the sake of heaven. Right? Would that make you happy? Probably not. What do you mean he's doing it for the sake of heaven? How could Salafchad be Mechalal Shabbos for the sake of heaven? That's a new idea. Who ever heard of such a thing? So Tosis says, Shayu Omrim Yisrael, Kevan Shadiksar Lev Sholi Kanes Laaretz, Mimaser Meraglim, Shuv Ein Mechuyavim Bemitzvot. So he says, there was this interesting idea that Bnei Yisrael had, that since many of the mitzvot in the Torah are connected to Eretz Yisrael, and many mitzvot are introduced by the statement, Kita Vo El Haaretz, when you come to Eretz Yisrael, right, that's what the, that's what the, the Pasuk says. They thought to themselves, okay, we sin with the Meraglim, we're punished by 40 years of exile from Eretz Yisrael, or 38 years uh, of exile. So, so, mistome, mistome is like a word in, uh, in yeshivish. It's, it's likely, that's what they thought to themselves, it's likely that we don't have to do any mitzvot now. We only have to do the mitzvot again when we get to Eretz Yisrael. So during the, through the years that we wander around in the, in the desert, we don't have to do this. This was apparently a, like a very popular idea. I would imagine what would happen today if Eliyahu Novi said and said, okay, next 10 years you don't have to keep Shabbos. You think it would go? Maybe. Maybe it would go. So, so, uh, uh, so listen to what Tosut says. He says, Shuv Eimuchu Yavim Mitzvot, Amad Lechilel Shabbat. So Tzlavchad, took the matter into his own hand. He stood up and he desecrated Shabbat. In order that he should be punished as severely as possible for the transgression of Chilul Shabbat. That has to do with the sugi, it has to do with others, with us. But Salafchad wanted everybody to see, what did he want them to see? That Shabbat was still in force. They were all about to make this terrible mistake, thinking they didn't have to keep Shabbat, and he had to prove to them that he had to keep Shabbat. Okay? What? He did, but I mean, it's like a little bit of a crazy idea. I mean, he could have done public relations or hired a, like, a, like a company and put up billboards. Or like, he could have done something short of getting killed. Yeah. Uh, that's what really gets me into a tough subject, but maybe. Ain't nothing now. Right? It was an event for the sake of God, but it's not sure that you, not, we're not sure that he had to do it. He could have taught Torah instead. But in any event, on this, on this matter, on this Gemara, there's the following comment by the Maharshah. The Maharshah wrote a very long commentary on much of Shas. And he divided it into two parts. He wrote uh, on the halachic part, what we call Chidushe Halachot, about uh, the Diyunim in the Gemara. And then he also wrote what he called Chidushe Agadot. Right, the comments on the Agadita of the Torah. So he says, Beferik Hazorik, the middle of the first line. Beferik Hazorik Ka'amar, Are you with me? I'm on the last word in the first line. 
וככה אמרו במדרש, שאמרו בנותיו כי בחטאו מת, הוא המקושש. So he knows about Tosfot, and he knows about the Gemara in Shabbat, and he knows about what the daughter said. He knows, he basically knew everything. He was like a very remarkable person. Something, something I would love to talk about, but I'm not sure we have the time right now. And Shamu Benotov, Rutzelomar, Chet Shel Yachid Aniskar Bador HaMidbar. It was a, an individual's transgression. And maybe the daughters of Tzlachad said, uh, said that in order that his, his descendants should benefit, or at least they shouldn't be held liable for what they, uh, they did. You see those, those uh, what they're called abbreviations. Abbreviations are there to make it harder for us. Uh, why not? Why shouldn't it be harder? You know, in order to know the abbreviations, you have to sort of get into the mind of the person who's talking, which is an annoyance if you, if you get stuck. Sometimes you get stuck on abbreviations. But all the new editions of all the books open up the abbreviations. That's what it's called in Hebrew. I see you're not interested. He says, I'm telling you, this all is connected to what we found in Tagum Yonatan, this Parshat Shlach. And then he, he tells us the whole uh, Tagum Yonatan, and now I'm skipping it. I'm on line five, the fifth line. After, uh, right, you see that? So in other words, I'm skipping the Tagum Yonatan because basically we saw the same thing in the Medrash of, uh, that was quoted in Tosot. The Hashta Binotabit Batsluba and here the daughters were like, like uh, begged forgiveness in the name of their father. So, so they, they, they say, they say, uh, they say, look, you know, when he did it, you didn't know what to do with him. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't know what, what death penalty he was supposed to get. So he did it for you. He did it all that you should be able to clarify it. You were like, you know, he had no reason to clarify it. He gave you a reason to clarify it. That's another way of saying it. That's, that Slavchad allowed himself to get into this position and even to be killed because he wanted to make sure that everybody would know what the halacha is. Otherwise, Moshe didn't know the halacha. They never learned it. They never learned the halacha. The yesh shalu b'azeh b'tagum yonatan. I get the, the mashah. This is the, the line in the mashah which gets us. He says, this is yesh shalu b'azeh b'tagum yonatan. Heyach chatabi su shabbat k'day where did he learn that from? You mean if you have a something in Allah, so you go ask somebody. You don't do the Aveira in order to find out what the what the halacha is. What is it you think? This whole idea that's in the Tagum Yonatan, you have to understand. The Shaw is asking this question because he wants to clarify something, but he takes the Tagum Yonatan very seriously. It's in there. So Sadiq got to figure out what it's talking about. How could it be that Salavcha did what he did in order that the day Israel should have this foot merit to know what the halacha is when you're Mechal Shabbos? Before they didn't know. Now they know. Now they know. So he changed the, 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 the world around. So who said that you could do such a thing? Where did he, where did he get this idea from? V'yesh Lomar. And now the Maharishah is going to give a complicated answer. You know the complicated answer is it's something no one, no one would ever, reasonable would ever think of. But listen, Kevanchaloyatsuchlim lachazo, Ella Mita. 
He says, if you describe what he did, he tzlavchad. He tzlavchad the mekoshesh. If you describe uh, what he did in sort of halachic terms. So what did he do? He did a melacha she'ena tzricha legufa. What's a melacha she'ena tzricha legufa? Let's say, let's say I, I, I need some dirt. I need some dirt. I want to cover up something, right? So I take dirt and I take dirt and what do I end up with? A hole. Now, when you dig a hole, right, that's also midoraisa. But I didn't want to dig a hole. What did I want to do? I want to just some dirt. So that's called lacha sheinatzricha legufa. And there's one Tano, Rabbi Shimon, who says that lacha sheinatzricha legufa is patur. That if you do a lacha sheinatzricha legufa, you're put to it. So if you open the refrigerator and the light goes on, but it's during the daytime, and it doesn't matter to you, so Rabbi Shimon would say, no, no. Nishkefelach. Of course, we didn't like Rabbi Shimon because we wanted to make it tougher on ourselves. Because we like uh, more of Olympic type Kiyum Shabbos rather than wimpy type of Kiyum Shabbos. So, so we have always for the last 2,000 years made it more difficult every time we could. Whether there was an option to make it more difficult, as I disagree with somebody who wrote an article recently about, uh, about halacha, uh, it doesn't matter, you don't know, it's also good. So listen, listen to what the Rabbi Shah says, Kevish answers with halacha, so he didn't need these, these branches that he was taking out of the ground. Why was he taking the branch to the branch out of the ground? Right, ah, the guys who learned the Hilashav, they like this. You see, that's what, that's what happens when you learn Gemara. You, you actually like it after a while. As strange as it may seem. So he why was he taking these branches out of the ground? Why was he taking the branches out of the ground? Because he wanted to find out what the halacha was. But not because, not because he needed the branches. He didn't need the branches. So if you hold, like Rabbi Shimon, that halacha is the truth of the group on Potter, so they're taking out the branches of the ground, would be okay. He'd be Potter. Therefore... Therefore, we kind of answered the question. What was the question? How could Salafra do such a crazy thing? He just wanted to teach me that Allah, his eyes are going to be killed. But we just pointed out that maybe he didn't think he was going to get killed. Right? I thought he didn't think he was going to get killed. How come he was killed? I mean, like, and then without Salafra, had to come and beg for their, for their territory back. So there's something, they're still missing a piece here. So he says, uh, I am now five lines from the bottom, the second word, the bottom of the keta. We said that if you dig up, if you dig a hole in the ground, but all because you want the dirt that comes out of the hole, even though you ended up with the hole, I mean, you dug a hole, you didn't dig a hole in the Shabbos conception of things, you did something else. And that's called a Moloch HaShayed and Tzvich HaLegufa. And moreover, according to Rabbi Shimon, a Moloch HaShayed and Tzvich HaLegufa is Patur. Miu hu vadai dayachayav mita bedinei adam shelo yadu haidim shetrubo shos hal da'adzo ve'inan ela devorim shabalev. So here, poor Tzalafchad made a mistake. He thought that if he does a Moloch Gufa, everybody will find out what the halacha is and they're not going to kill him. But it, since the Ma'ashot says it's impossible for the Eidim, for the witnesses, to know what he's doing. So what did the Eidim say? The Eidim say, look, if you keep doing this, you will be chayav mita midoraita. You will be chayav mita of skila. And they didn't know what his real, his intention was to do a Malachas Yisrael Gufa. And since you can't tell that it's a Malachas Yisrael, isn't it? What the Maharsha uh, says. Because the Einam Elad Varim Shemalev, that's only his intention. There's no way to tell. Usually the Aiden say, look, if you keep doing this, you're going to get punished. And he kept on doing it. He didn't tell them that he had some other crazy idea. The Ganim Hayu Otolimita Alpi Haidut. That's what happened according to the Marsha. 
וכן יש לומר לפי המדרש שכתבו התוספות לקרמן. רק רמבר? המדרש שכתבו התוספות, we just learned it, seven and a half minutes ago. So even if you don't remember that it was Tosot, but you remember somebody talking about a Medrash, right? But he says, Kadu HaTosot, Kavan Tzavchad Ha'al Mekoshesh, Vaya B'Tchilat Mem Shana, Ulushem Shamaim Nitkavein, Shayu Omrim, Kavan Shinigzar Alehem, Shalom Ikanais La'aretz, B'Masam Ra'glim, Shuv Eyo, Shachayabim Mitzvot, Mitzvot, Amad Echilat Shamaim Kedai Sheyeharig, Vihiru Achayir, Kad Lishakan, Lishonod, Ha'avli Nami, because why was he a Mekoshesh Eitzim? According to Tosfot, according to Tagab Yodatad, according to the Vashah. Why did he do this? He did this in order to elucidate the halacha. And the people should learn something. He didn't do it because he needed the, whatever he did with the branches. He didn't need those branches at all. So that's called the Malacha Asherah So this was a mistake. Yitzlachad was a great tzaddik. I will be cheto mate. What was cheto? What was cheto now of Yitzlachad? What? He didn't understand, he didn't learn apparently when Moshe Rabbeinu taught them about Eidim and Hatra'ah and the warning that it only goes by what you say. And if there's no response, we assume that that's what the that's what the perpetrator was thinking about. That he didn't know. So he was a tzaddik because he wanted to inform B'nai Yisrael. But the Chet Omeit, according to the Targum Yodotan, the Tosfot, and the Masha, we put them all together, the Chet Omeit, that he didn't know what the implication of what he was doing really was and that he was liable for the death penalty. So that when the Notzalavchad came to Moshe Rabbeinu and asked Moshe Rabbeinu, they asked Moshe Rabbeinu for a reprieve, for a pardon, to be included in the distribution of the territory of Eretz Yisrael. What did they say about their father? He bechet omate. And what does that mean? What do they mean to say? Everybody knows that he was a tzaddik. Everybody knows that he meant something good for Am Yisrael. So why is he dead? He's dead because he did not learn sufficiently well the halacha of edut, of edim and edut and hatra'ah. He simply was not aware of the fact that if he doesn't respond to the witnesses and tell them what he really intends to do, that he would be liable based on their hatra'ah, their warning for the death penalty. And that's ki bechet o yumat. So let's look finally at the Meshimah. And this is certainly, you know, the kind of thing that the Meshiloch, like, loves. Like, uh, when he said, a mitzvah, that's an Aveira, an Aveira, that's a mitzvah, you know, like, this is the stuff that the Meshiloch is made from. You know, he, he, he had a lot of difficulty, uh, not difficulty, but he had a lot of concern for the relationship between the intention and the ma'aseh. And is it possible for the intention to change a bad deed into either a less bad deed or even a good deed? And uh, this question is, according to the Meshiloach, a question that comes up again and again in the words of Chazal. Not something that he invented as a result of the Enlightenment or 19th century philosophy. It's something for him which is embedded in the words of Chazal through and through, and especially in this story that we just told you. Now, if you know the story, you can learn the, uh, you can look at the, uh, at the Meshilach. I also have here the, the Betzalo Edwards translation of the Meshilach. Since I looked at it, I thought I would bring it in so to show you that that exists. It's, it's, it's actually pretty good. It's like every translation. It's not always easy to know what the translator was talking about in difficult texts. You know, in simple texts. Uh, anyway, this is what it looks like. This is the Shabbat Sefer. Living Waters, he called it. Meishilach. Commentary in the Torah by Rabbi Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitzah. 
Bezalel Edwards. He, he's, he's around. He's a Jerusalem fixture. And uh, he even came to this year a couple of times in the past three years. So look at what it says. You have it? He quotes a Gemara in Menachot. Yesh te'unot shemen u'mivona. Shemen shemen is oil. Here I'll read it from the from the translation and levona is frankincense. But I haven't got a clue of what frankincense is so why not say levona? I mean if you had if you don't understand what either word is, you might as well use the Hebrew word. Because at least then we're talking in Lashon HaKodesh, you know. Frankincense. Even if somebody brought me frankincense, I still wouldn't know what it is. I mean, what, it doesn't make any difference. There's some things you just don't know. So the Mishnah in Menachot says that when you bring a korban mincha, like a meal offering, Sometimes you have to add oil, and sometimes you have to eat, to add frankincense. And this is said in the following case. Now, this is a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Right, a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot. Here's Pirkeavot. Pirkeavot is, uh, you can look it up, and uh, every sitter has Pirkeavot there. Pirkeavot, the first mission in the second paragraph of Pirkeavot says, Rabbi Omer, Ezohu, Ezohi, Derechisharashi, Volo Adam. What's Derechishara? Like derech, everybody knows that there are straight paths and there are crooked paths. So the straight path is better. Ezer, he's there. So he says, what is, what do we call, uh, what way do we speak of when we think of derech yishara? Kol lo So Rabbi says, tiferet, the straight path is the path of Tiferet. Tiferet is a word which means glory. The one who was Tiferet, one who is referred to as having Tiferet, was Aaron the Kohen Gadol. Aaron the Kohen Gadol wore clothes that were Kavod and Tiferet. Tiferet means when you look at it, you know it. That's called Tiferet. That's what the word means. Now you know also that in the, the Sfirot, the Kabbalistic uh, names of the emanations from God, so the sixth one or the third one, depending how you're counting, is called Tiferet. The third of the, seven, of the lower seven, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov without explaining why, but you know that Tiferet is Torah. Tiferet is Torah. You know that that Torah is referred to as a crown. In other words, what's a crown? A crown is not a uh, uh, kind of an imaginary crown. A crown is you look at him or her and you see the Torah. That's what a crown is. The reason that kings and queens had to wear crowns was because if you would look at them without the crown, they would look like some bag lady, like a big the Queen of England or the Queen Mother of England. You know, yes, yeah, the Queen Mum. The Queen Mum, you know, sorry, walking around the street asking for a cigarette. Right? That's what you would see. Ah, but you wear you know, like thousand dollars of thousands of dollars of clothing and you put on a queen, a, a crown so then there's no mistaking who you are that was always the, the princely issue how am I going to make sure that when the guy meets me he's going to know I'm the king and not think that I'm just another person 
This is like a, like a problem that kings have. And so they, they sit on special chairs. And they wear special clothes. Not only do they wear special clothes, but you know that the Romans, the Romans, because they had a need for purple, for royal, what was called royal purple, forbade any other person in the realm using purple on their clothes. Now you know, of course, that had a very bad effect on tzitzit. Right? Because tzitzit were made with purple. A kind of a very royal kind of of, of purple. But the Romans didn't like that. Because they thought that purple was a color that was reserved for the king of, of the Roman Empire. Or sub-kings of the Roman Empire. So if you look at, if you look at these ermine coats that the... I mean, England is good because you, know, you can watch them on television. I mean, like other kings are not always on television. But if you look at the Queen when she goes to open Parliament, you know, opening Parliament, that's a very hush of a thing. And the Queen wants to make sure everybody knows that she's the Queen. And not just somebody like a member of Parliament who just happened to walk in. And she's very worried that somebody's going to ask her what her name is. Because no one is supposed to ever ask the Queen of England a question like that. So she wears clothes that make her undisputedly the Queen of England. And so it is. I mean, this is one of the less remnants. I mean, today we have other ways of doing that, right? Today, uh, you, you, like you wear a, if you have a Rolex watch that costs uh, whatever, so you have to wear it like this. You, know, you, don't, you don't tell the time with your Rolex watch. You tell the other person that you have one. Right? That's, the, that's the thing. And, and so uh, in every community, in every society, they've developed these kinds of ways. People have developed these kinds of ways of identifying themselves as belonging to the upper caste and not just being regular, like regular people. So, uh, something that makes you look at that person and say, Tiferet. You know, there's something special about him. And that's called, and that's the Torah. The Tiferet lo min ha'adam. What the difference is, Tiferet lo seha, the Tiferet lo min ha'adam, he says, bring honor from this community. Bringing honor from the community and uh, and also, bring honor to he who does it. But I, I don't know exactly what the difference is. I mean, but, but there was this idea that a person can be Rebbe. Of course, Rebbe was the house of King David. Right? He was a descendant. He was a descendant of, uh, of Malchut. He had that, those Malchut genes in him. And he thought that a person could adopt a princely demeanor even if you didn't wear princely clothing. And that would, people could look at what you did and what you accomplished and you would come to that, you'd come to that conclusion. So along comes the, here we are with the Meshilah. A few more minutes. There's Ita Begimara Yeshtu no Chemen Ulivona. There is oil and there is frankincense. There are some people who are righteous and everything they do is for the sake of heaven. One talks about the internal beauty of a person. And the other one talks about the perceived beauty of the person, according to, according to the Beishilov. And these two things are not the same. Because a person can be internally very beautiful, but not everybody is able to, to perceive it. Not everybody is able to take note of that internal beauty. And then there's another kind of beauty that is easier for people to take note of and to reflect about. 
והנה האדם צריך לראות שכל מעשיו יהיה כוורת או עושה וכוורת לו מן האדם. And this is a challenge, he says. Everybody has to be beautiful on the inside and beautiful in what they do. לפעמים, אך לפעמים, נמצא עת לעשות לשם. Is there are times when you see there's some critical issue and that God is somehow held, is being abused. That God is not being uh, related to in the proper way by the community. And that's called eight lasot lashem. The time comes when you have to do something for God. She'en ha'adam seha. That at that time, a person doesn't have to be so concerned about how it looks to others. The important thing is that his intention is to do the right thing for heaven. That sometimes you can even do something against the Torah in order to benefit the Torah. And that's called, we call that Hora'atcha'a. That's what we call it. Sometimes a Navi, like uh, the classic uh, example, Eliel and Navi of Har Carmel. That Har Carmel is not in the Beit HaMikdash. And it was forbidden to bring Korbanot on any place outside of Yerushalayim. But Eliana Navi did it because he felt that that way he could smite the prophets of Baal. And that would be for the benefit of the Torah and Am Yisrael. So that's called Eit Lasot Lashem. That you, you even denied the Torah. There are times when we know that this is what God wants us to do with Eliyahu Harkamel. The issue was the fire from heaven would it go on Eliyahu's sacrifice or on the sacrifice of the Baal. So the fire from heaven came down on Eliyahu's sacrifice. So it became clear that that's what heaven wanted. Heaven wanted, uh, wanted Eliyahu. Uh, and so I'm uh, It says this is not a simple matter. Sometimes you want to do something that you feel is so important, even though it's against the Torah's will. You are victorious. That's Eliyahu and Haratanel. But there are other times when you act against the Torah, you act against the Torah, and it's, it's not approved in heaven. The Gam she says, The Midrash that we learned in Tosot, so he says that I mean he he accepts everything we've said. But he accepts what we said. The Gemara says that Slavchad is the Bakoshesh and he accepts the Tosun, accepts the Bashar, accepts the Tagum Yonatan, accepts all of that, but now he still wants to explain why he was killed. I mean if he was Lashem Shamayim, why was he killed? Because Slavchad was dealing with a very difficult issue. And that issue was if I act against the Torah for the Torah, will God approve of me or not? And so Eliyahu Anavi acted against the Torah, for the Torah, and received divine approval because he was a Navi. He knew that he was doing the right thing. But Tzalaf Khan was not a Navi. And even though he thought there was a crisis that B'nai Yisrael did not understand that it was forbidden for them to do Chilul Shabbat during these 40 years in the desert, even though they hadn't come to Eretz Yisrael as yet. And he had to show them that they were making this terrible mistake. Nevertheless, 
since he did not receive divine approval as a Navi, Bechet O mate. He died because of that transgression. So here the, the Meshilo says, on the one hand, on the one hand is the Aliyah Navi, even though he doesn't mention him, but that's who he means. On the other hand, there's the Nikoshesh Itzim. Aliyah Navi was a Navi. He knew the answer to the question, was he doing the right thing? The Mechoshesh simply usurped the authority, and even though he was a tzaddik and wanted to do something for the benefit of the, of the nation, he was held liable by heaven for what he had done. Shabbat Shalom. Does a great Well, if we have ten people who are staying, we could have a